Once again, from Arlington, Texas, and uh, today we are going to be talking about debt, and more than that, the cancer of debt, uh, getting rid of debt, why it has to go, but more importantly, I'm going to talk to you about debt today, the way it relates to us as preppers, the way it re- relates to us as survivalists, the way it relates to all the things that we talk about from a preparedness, self-sufficiency, and self-reliance mindset. I know that's a hot topic out there. A lot of people talk about it. They talk about it in a good way. They talk about it in a bad way. Uh, there's great advocates out there for eliminating debt like Dave Ramsey. But I don't think they talk about it in a way that really pertains to the type of things that we talk about and we plan on having to deal with someday here at the Survivalist Survival Podcast and in the modern survival and prepper communities. I, I don't think it's ever seen in that light. In fact, the few times that I've heard, heard Dave Ramsey talk about debt, uh, or not really debt, but talk about um, preparedness and survivalism, he's done it with kind of a, a negative connotation. And I, I don't really expect anything different from the guys' mainstream media. I'm not putting them down or what have you, but th- that's just reality. So I'm going to talk to you about debt today. I'm going to talk to you about how debt applies to you with your unique view of the world. And hopefully that will make a bigger impact on some of you than the typical outlets that you get this from. All right, before we do that, though, we do have to dock out our housekeeping. First up, we have to take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day, number one, Backyard Food Production. I really want you to check these guys out if you haven't done so yet. Their DVD on how to produce your own food on your own property was absolutely one of the best things that I've uh, partaken of in, in the past year. It was absolutely phenomenal. It really drove home... A lot of the things that I'm planning, a lot of things that I'm talking about, and it's going to keep me from making some pretty big mistakes, honestly. Uh, things that I thought would work that they've already tried and where they went wrong uh, and, and how they've corrected them. Uh, so I think that at, at 25 bucks, this CD is, is really priced under its actual value, uh, or, or DVD, I should say. It's absolutely phenomenal, and I promise you, you'll watch it more than once before you get everything out of it. You, you really will. It's almost too much. Uh, on one DVD, but that is the kind of value that I look for in a sponsor. I'm glad to have them with us. Check them out. Sponsor of the day number two, the Lifesaver 4000. Um, I want to tell you a little piece of feedback that I got from a listener who just said they wanted to see if this thing was really as good as it was claimed, so they made a cocktail of um, Jack Daniels, Tabasco sauce, and and something else uh, mixed with water. And they put that in the Lifesaver 4000, and I don't recommend you do this, but they did it, and what came out of the other side was pure, clean water, which I, I, I didn't even think it would do that. But it filters down to .015 microns. That's pretty small. The creator uh, of it, the inventor of it, invented it after the tsunami uh, incident in Indonesia and being part of the relief effort there and realizing how many people didn't have clean water when they were standing in places that were saturated with rancid uh, putrid, unusable water, and decided there needed to be a solution for environments and situations like that. So it's a great product, uh, available from ready-made resources. I really recommend that you check it out. Next up, 
today I want to remind you too. What do I remind you to do today? I want you to, to make sure that you get involved with all of our, you know, our social media connections that we have available to you. I'm on Facebook. The show's on Facebook. Be our fan. Be our friend. We're on YouTube. Connect with us on YouTube. Uh, the YouTube uh, uh, listener uh, appreciation uh, contest is going to happen today. Uh, in just a minute, I'll tell you about that. And uh, from there, uh, you can also – the next thing that I want to remind you about today is all the ways there are to connect with us beyond just listening to the show or subscribing to our email uh, list. You can also be our friend on uh, YouTube or be our subscriber on YouTube. Uh, beyond that, you can do some other really cool things. Uh, you can uh, hook up with us on Facebook. I even have a LinkedIn profile. Don't really push it that much, but I'll hook up with you on LinkedIn if you use it. But, but you know, get involved with us. And as far as YouTube goes, here it is. We're running another listener appreciation contest today. Today's contest, I'm going to be giving away two uh, survival podcast T-shirts from the gear shop. And here's what you need to do today. You need to see, First of all, you need to be a subscriber on our YouTube channel. If you're not a subscriber to our YouTube channel, you can't play today. Unless you go ahead and subscribe, and then you can go ahead and play. Send an email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Again, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put in the subject line, T-shirt. One word with a hyphen, T-shirt. That's the code word for today. I will give away a free T-shirt to respondent number one and respondent number 50. One and 50 today. The first one and the 50th one. I don't want any crying from people. I don't get to play, whatever. Because last time, uh, the person that won won two and a half days later when I went up to 100. So if you listen today, you have a chance to win. I guarantee you that. You have to be a YouTube subscriber. In the email, send me the size of shirt you want, from small to double X. Those are your choices. Small, medium, large, extra large, double, extra large. Those are the sizes we have. Uh, send me your shipping address so I don't have to track you down if you win. And uh, and that's it. And, uh, oh, your YouTube username so I can verify you're a subscriber. Send that one and 50, get a free t-shirt from the Survival Podcast Gear Shop today. All right, moving on. Uh, last but not least, consider joining the Members Brigade. If you join the Members Support Brigade, you'll help support the show. Uh, at a contribution of $5 a month or $50 a year, that's 20 cents an episode. You get a lot of really cool, free stuff, exclusive content, you name it. Trust me, it's a good deal. I would ask you to make the investment. If it wasn't, we'll keep it short there today because I've gone long because of contest. So let's move into the main subject today, which is debt. Uh, if we're going to talk about debt, as it per- pertains to people with a survivalist philosophy, be it a traditional survivalist philosophy, what we call here a modern survivalist philosophy, a prepper philosophy, even if you don't use the word survivalist, a self-sufficiency philosophy, a self-reliance philosophy. If you're worried about self-sufficiency and self-reliance, underlying that is a, is a tone of survival, because what you want to be able to do is survive without being dependent upon others. So it always comes down to survive. So if we're going to talk about debt today and how it relates to survivalism, let's ask ourselves first, what is the number one rule of survival? And what are the basic rules of survival? Well, the number one rule is to take the actions necessary so that tomorrow you're still breathing oxygen and converting it to CO2. If you wake up, and you're not breathing anymore, you won't wake up, and you haven't survived, and you're dead, and you failed to survive. But we move just a little bit beyond that, and we say, as a survival-minded individual, if I dropped you out, let's go to traditional wilderness survival. 
You know, like we, we pretend you're Bear Grylls. I give you a knife, and I give you a few different little uh, items, and a little backpack, and I take a helicopter, and I fly you out in the middle of the wilderness, and I say, in that general direction, you'll find a road. It's 50 miles away. Good luck. Goodbye. And I fly away with that helicopter. And you have to travel that 50 miles and do your best to navigate, and you're going to spend several nights, if not more, out there and feed and clothe yourself. Your rules of survival are as follows. One, don't panic. If you panic, you're going to be dead. Plain and simple. Two, immediately assess your situation. Determine everything that you have available to you, what the environment around you is like. Number three, begin to focus on the big three and how you're going to provide them for yourself in the next few days as you move from a point of danger to a point of safety. And those are food, water, and shelter. Okay? Additionally, you need to have some level of navigation capability to be able to move through there. Uh, but that's going to be your big thing because even if your navigation fails, no matter how long it takes you to travel a distance or to be found by somebody that can help you, as long as you can feed, provide yourself uh, water, and provide yourself adequate shelter, you can survive. You can follow the first rule, which is wake up the next day still breathing. Okay? Now, so that's what it's all about. Those three things, and that all begins with an assessment of where you are. Well, how does that apply to debt? Well, if we look at debt, and we look at the damage debt does, the main thing, or the main way that debt affects us is financially. If I have debt, some segment of my income must then go to pay against that debt on a monthly or weekly or, or semi-annual, whatever the basis is. It becomes an outflow of my cash. And it becomes an outflow of cash I didn't have to spend in the first place or I wouldn't have debt. In other words, if I went out to Home Depot and decided I wanted to put wood flooring in my house and whipped out my Home Depot credit card and bought $2,500 worth of flooring to put into my house, odds are if I had the cash to make the, the purchase, I would not have bought the flooring on credit. Right? So it's created an additional expenditure that you didn't have the money for in the first place. So how does that affect our big three? Food, water, shelter. We have to pay for the shelter. We have to pay for the food. And on some level, we have to pay for the water. And people say, well, water's so cheap today, it's not really an expense. I can turn my faucet on, it comes out. And for the time being, that's the case, and let it be that way. If you didn't have a house or an apartment or some structure like that, you wouldn't have a faucet either. So they all come at expense. So what we can look at from the very beginning at its most basic level, and we're going to get a lot deeper with this today, but at its most basic level, we have to acknowledge that the three things we need most to survive, food, water, shelter, are negatively affected by debt. Therefore, debt reduces our ability to survive or reduces our longevity for self-sufficiency and self-reliance. At a minimum, that is the impact of debt. So that's why it applies to you. That's why it is a survival topic. That's why it's something we talk about here. That's why it's something you should care about. And it's why it's something you cannot separate from preparedness mindset. It's absolutely intrinsic. The two are one and the same. As we move on, I want to talk to you about what I call the, the biggest bait and switch known to the world. You know, some of you conspiracy theorists think the biggest bait and switch known to the world was 9-11, or the biggest bait and switch was that the, the, the moon landing was fake, or all these conspiracy theories. And look, guys, I, 
I don't want to go down the road of conspiracy theories because you guys should know where I stand on them by now. Most of them I think are crap. The ones that are valid, I think the theorist has uh, been more help in hiding them uh, than, than the people that claim that they're not real. And what I mean is that the extreme level that the theorist goes to uh, discredits the validity that's somewhere in between the, 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 the conspiracy explanation and the rational explanation. But to me, the biggest bait and switch has been wide open. And it's been what I call selling the false dream of freedom in return for, or selling the real dream of freedom for the false dream of debt. And I, I, really, you, you don't have to look very far back to see this. I want you to picture a year, let's just pick a random year from Nostalgic America of 1952. And I want you to picture your grandmother, or if you're an older person, your mother, um, in that time frame. Younger, stronger, happier, maybe if she's gone now. Uh, the way you remember her, dial it back even more, what it was like in 1952. And I want you to picture your mother or your grandmother walking out the front of her little home, whatever it was that she had, walking down to her mailbox, typical Americana. I want you to picture her opening up that that mailbox and pulling things out and finding in it, in 1952, a pre-approved credit card offer that said, Dear Mom or Dear Grandma, you've been pre-approved for $10,000 worth of credit, no interest for the first six months, um, transfer your balances and all that hoopla that we get today all the time. We get them in the name, you know, we got one in the name of our dog once. So that's how much junk mail like that comes out now. I want you to ask yourself if your grandmother would have, A, Looked at it in disbelief, laughed at it, tore it up in shreds and throw it on the compost pile. B, filled it out to get the shiny credit card. Or C, done A first and then went and told her friends, you better not, you better not invest in this company. These people are idiots. They want to give me money that I'll never be able to pay back. And I think the answer was C. Not only would it have been thrown away, but it probably would have been a very bad uh, PR move at the time. People that would have received those would have just went to their neighbors and said, these people, these master, whoever this MasterCard company is, these people are idiots. I can't afford to pay that back. But today, there's pride when we get one of those. We're happy. We give them the college students on their future earnings now. It's like part of the student loan process is to also get a MasterCard or a Visa with a massive interest payment against it. Now, why... And how did we go from that wisdom that your mother or your grandmother would have exhibited in 1952? Not to mention the wisdom that your mother, grandmother, or maybe great-grandmother would have exhibited in 1922. How did we go from that to a place today where the average American household has over $40,000 in debt and over 20000 is consumer-level debt, which means credit cards, unsecured? not including um, uh, car loans and things like that. And if we include houses, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. But that's a different style, class of debt. So let's stick to consumer-level debt. How do we go from a place where it would have been ridiculed, scoffed at, thrown away, and composted, to people now have pride of ownership and $20,000 worth of stuff, that if you went to their house and said, show me all the things that $20,000 bought, most people wouldn't have anything to show. How did we do that? We got sold a dream. We got sold a false dream. 
It's a phantom. It's not real. We were sold on, you don't have to wait. You can have it now. Now, you have to ask yourself why this was done. And I believe it was done because the people of this country terrified the power elites. The power elites in our own country and the power elites around the world. This country was a threat to the new, what I call the new feudal order. We learn about how the feudal order fell apart in, in, in school, but it never did. It never fell apart. It changed in name. But in the feudal order, we had serfs. You know, we had tradesmen, right? And, and we had nobles, and we had elites, and we had ruling elites. And today we have the exact same structure. We just call them, you know, poor, you know, lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, affluent, wealthy, and elites, and rulers. And a lot of the dynamics between the ruling classes and the, the wealthy elites have changed, and a lot of it has remained the same, but we basically recreated the feudal order today. The difference today is our serfs don't work anymore. In the old feudal order, the serf was out, and he was a farmer, and he was working, and he was killing himself on the land, and today we've created a system where the serfs aren't supporting the tradesmen, the tradesmen support the serfs. Because the serfs are no longer serfs, they're on welfare and handouts. But other than that, other than that, everything has really stayed the same. But this country was threatening to change that. Because we had a country that was held back by the limitations it placed on people based on sex and race. And when we corrected that, and the more of that we corrected, the more we became closer and closer for America to realize the dream that it was promised to be. Where all men are created equal and seen as endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We were so close to fully realizing that dream. And if you are among the power elites, if you are among the ruling elites, that is the last thing that you would ever want to happen. Because what you would end up with is a nation of people with so much self-sufficiency and so much liberty that they would be a shining light and others would say, we can have that too. There's the example to follow. So it had to be destroyed. And it was destroyed with debt. It was destroyed with debt beginning at a national level in 1913 with the establishment of the Federal Reserve System. But even with the incompetence of our government to sell away its own right to produce its own money debt-free and go into debt at a national level just to make money, and I don't mean to earn money, I mean to produce it, that wasn't enough. Because the individual could still opt out of that system so easily because the individual wasn't in debt. So the carrot was raised in the 1920s with easy credit on margin to buy stocks. Most people don't know this. What caused the Great Depression? The Great Depression was caused by bankers making it very easy to borrow money to buy stock. It wasn't how many people put their money in the stock. It was how many people put borrowed money into the stocks. And the bankers, when it was time for them to cash out, cashed out all their money, pulled all their money out, and called all the loans due. That's what caused the market crash in 1929. Completely orchestrated. That's not a conspiracy theory. All you have to do is look at the financials and the background behind it, and you can see it plain as day. And that put us into a tailspin, and then we went into a war. And the nation went deeper 
and deeper into debt. At the federal level, not the individual level. And as we came out on the other side of that war into an age of, 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 of what appeared to be prosperity, as our men came home and went to work, we fought another war that everybody forgot about called the Korean conflict. And we began to rebuild and build highways. And we began to pay down that debt from the war. And the nation began to rise up as truly a world leader. That's when it was decided that something had to be done. And that's when easy consumer credit began. That's when people actually started to borrow money to buy cars. And that was one thing. But then people started borrowing money to buy things that were disposable. People started buying things with a credit card, and the item had a two-year lifespan, and the debt payment on it went four years. So you were paying for it two years after it became worthless. And as this process continued, the nation that had been the world leader was lulled into a false sense of entitlement and a false sense of prosperity. That raged through the 80s, into the 90s, and into the 2000s. And you know what happened? At the end of that, with a few in the middle, was a big, giant flop. And everybody looked up and went, how could the government do this to us? How could the banks do this to us? Look at the stock market. Look how many people lost their jobs. Look at the value of homes. And nobody wanted to say, well, if I didn't owe $30,000 to MasterCard and didn't have two cars that I paid more than most people could buy a house for, and uh, if I bought a house within my means in the first place, none of this shit would really matter to me. Nobody wanted to admit that. Most people still don't want to admit that. Most people that are in the middle of this situation right now have their fingers in their ears and they're going, la, 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 anytime somebody brings up personal accountability. Well, it's because it was done to you. You don't even realize what it was done to you. Because that mother we started out with about her, that grandmother, that great-grandmother is dead now. She's gone. Her wisdom is gone. And the generation after her took half of that wisdom. And by the time it was hounded down to the next generation, it was gone. And we had people being born into the captivity of debt. They didn't know another way. But you know what? You're a human being with the capacity for thought. And you know intrinsically you cannot buy things that you cannot afford. And you know that you can't spend your way out of a problem. But yet we continue with this. Why? Because it's designed that way. Because as long as we are a nation in debt, we are a nation of slaves. And we will never be a threat to the power elites as long as we're a nation of slaves. Scary, isn't it? Well, I can't fix that for America. I can't change America that way. I'm not big enough. I'm not important enough. Not enough people listen to me. About 10,000 of you listen to me. I'd sure like to make a dent with that 10,000. It's a start. So take a lot more people to understand this intrinsically. But I can help you make a difference for yourself. The first thing we have to do is understand why the hell debt is cancer. See, when I call debt cancer, people are like, oh, come on, you're going a little bit too far. It's a little overly dramatic. No, it's not. See, think about how cancer works. One day you look in the mirror and you see a little weird-shaped spot on your shoulder or your back or your neck, or you find a little tiny pimple-sized lump somewhere, and 
If you're smart, you go see a doctor, and maybe it can be fixed, and maybe it can't. Or if during a regular screening, maybe they find a little tiny spot or a little speck or a little abnormality, and maybe it can be fixed if it's addressed right away. Generally, fixing it's not free, it's not cheap, it's not easy. It hurts a little bit. Sometimes it hurts a lot. Sometimes it pushes you so much you think you're going to die, even if it seemed like it was a small problem when you first saw it. But it's really there, and you're going to have to deal with it sooner or later. And the sooner you deal with it, the better, better chance you have of actually surviving chemotherapy, radiation, amputation, and surgery. The longer you wait, the more painful the process will become. How's that sound for addressing the problems of death? Let's look at it another way. A lot of times a person with cancer, if it hasn't been detected, it's not that they're ignoring symptoms, they haven't had any symptoms. As cancer is inside their body, they look really healthy. They look really strong. A lot of times we see professional athletes suddenly stricken with cancer. We know this doesn't make any sense. That guy yesterday was running a marathon. Today they're hanging a chemotherapy bag for him. It's going to make his hair fall out, make him throw up, and put him close to death. How could he have looked so good yesterday? when the cancer all the time was inside metastasizing, eating away at his body. Well, the same thing happens with debt. Think about the person deeply in debt. They're driving two beautiful cars. They have a beautiful house. Their kids are in all the activities. You go to their home, they have a big screen TV. If you look at their home and you look at my home, they look a hell of a lot more financially healthy than I do. Big, beautiful yard. Maybe it's landscaped. Maybe they have professional uh, yard people come by and take care of it for them a couple times a week. Dad's in the right uh, right clubs and the right clicks. Mom's in the right clubs and the right clicks. Everything looks beautiful. And they're sitting on $10,000 worth of debt. That sounds like a lot to some people, but not to this family. Not to this family. If this family cut back for a month, maybe two, this family could write a $10,000 check and get rid of the debt. It would be inconvenient. They'd have to skip a couple deals. They'd have to not go to a couple social events for a few months. Right? They'd have to go on a spending freeze and only buy essentials for a couple months. But two, three months, this family could knock out $10,000 worth of debt. Maybe six months they could knock it out. One way or another, it'd be a minor inconvenience. They would like it. The kids would complain. You know, mom might not get her hair done as often as she does. But, you know, it's not that big a deal. Just like that little tiny skin cancer if you have it cut off today. But we don't see it because it's not a skin cancer. It's an internal cancer. And that family looks beautiful. It looks wonderful. And the kids are growing up. And the kid, first one turns 16, and they buy the kid a car. Car gets handed down to the second kid. The first kid's going off to college. But now that $10,000 worth of debt has turned into $100,000 worth of debt. And now the family comes into just a little bit of financial trouble. Mom's workload gets cut back just a bit, and she stops making bonuses. Maybe. She doesn't even get a pay cut. Maybe just mom's office where all the uh, all the health benefits were being provided says we can no longer provide health benefits at no cost. You guys have to buy your own health benefits. They're going to be $1,000 a month. Because the family's been living close to the edge the entire time, and because the expenses have continued to increase, and because the spending has increased every time the income has increased, and because the debt has increased, that little change sends us into crisis, and all of a sudden the entire system starts to break down and fall apart. You tell me how 
Honestly, you tell me how in the hell that doesn't sound exactly like a tumor growing in a human's body. Why do you think this was used as a weapon? And again, this is not conspiracy talk. It is a weapon. It's a weapon against the family. It's a weapon against the American way of life. Credit cards are pure evil. It's not an overstatement. It's absolutely not an overstatement. You tell me another thing in this world that can be compared so perfectly and so accurately and so line for line for line absolutely in conjunction to cancer. There's nothing else in this world that works exactly like cancer other than debt. Now people will say, but you know, as a business person, you can use debt. You can leverage it. You can keep your cash flow positive. You know, you can keep paying people and you can, you know, you can be profitable and still run some debt load in the business. Of course you can. It's a tool. But it's a tool like a gun. It only belongs in the hands of people who are completely competent and completely understand it and are using it for a purpose. In other words, I could use a gun to go get two gallons of milk from the, from the grocery store. Because I could go in there, take the two gallons of milk, point the gun at the guy, and no one's going to die for two gallons of milk. And I could steal two gallons of milk with a gun. But just because I could do it doesn't mean I should. Now, the gun has a purpose, but that sure as hell ain't it. Well, your credit card might have a purpose. I don't think it does anymore. In Canada, okay, you need one to rent a car. Fine. You people that tell me, i got to have a credit card to build my credit rating, I'll never build it. First of all, I don't care about your credit rating. You shouldn't either. You can still get a mortgage for a house. And if you're not going into debt, you don't need it any other way. And if you really feel you need that, fine. Get a credit card that you know is 100% uh, uh, fee-free. Fill out the paperwork. Have them send you the credit card. So it can be an active credit card. Go buy your groceries this week with it. Immediately write a check. Send it to the credit card company. Take the credit card home. Turn on your shredder, throw it in there, destroy the card itself. Every time the credit card company sends you something, open it up, make sure that you don't owe them any money, and they've not finagled something to make you owe money, shred it. Now you have a credit card. For all the world to see on that wonderful credit report that you actually think is as important, and it's not as important as you think it is. Because I promise you, without a credit card, you can still get financing to buy a vehicle. And you can still get financing to buy a home. Maybe not as rubber stamped, but you can. Especially if you save up some cash before you buy the car, which you should anyway. But that's cancer, folks. That's why I talk about it. The other thing about debt is it, it leads to bigger governments. It absolutely leads to more powerful governments. You see all the things that this government has done, not just the, the current ass clown Obama, but the prior ass clown Bush. How big the government's been made from the last two years of Bush to the first year of Obama in the name of saving the economy. Do you know what? If we had 300 million Americans that lived largely debt-free lives, when this crisis happened, you know what they would have said? Eh, whatever. It'll, it'll, it'll turn back around. Leave it alone. We even did tell them to leave it alone, and they didn't leave it alone. Do you know why? Do you know why? Do you know the real reason they didn't listen to you? Because for most of us, probably not the people listening to the show so much, but most of America, it just needed to be done. 
You would have seen homelessness like you've never seen in this nation if they didn't do it. Well, why? Because of the system they set up where you can spend yourself into oblivion. People are acting like drug addicts with an unlimited supply of dope. Well, the problem with that is, if you take the addict and you immediately cut his dope off without medical supervision, he'll die. He could die if you kill him, certain addicts, certain drugs. Well, that's what was about to happen here. All the crack credit was about to be cut off. That's why they dumped all the money in there. So the credit would keep flowing, so the drug addicts could keep shooting up. That's why you can't have it. That's how bad this stuff really is. You can't separate it from survivalism. It's impossible. You can't separate it from preparing. It's impossible. If you are in debt, you can't afford to do the things that we talk about. I tell you, go out and store a little bit of extra food every week. Just buy two extra days of food every week. Keep doing that. And at the end of the year, right, at the end of the year, you'll have 60 days worth of food. And people go, I can't afford to do that. Well, why not? Because a MasterCard Visa Discover, that's why. Or because you bought a house that wasn't worth what you paid for it. And now you're blaming somebody else. I'm sorry. We intrinsically know when we look at a three-bedroom house on a tenth of an acre lot that's 15 years old, that it's not worth $400,000. And if you bought that house for $400,000, I'm sorry. You shouldn't have done it. Now you have to deal with the situation. Yes, you were lied to. Yes, you were misled. But you bought the lie. You allowed yourself to be misled. You believed them when they said, if you don't buy it today, it'll be $500,000 next year. You made the choice. But now you have to make the choice to do something about it. I know it's a harsh reality. I'm sorry. But if you think you can separate the economic aspects of life from being prepared. Because I get heat sometimes when I do these shows about debt. People say to me, but can't you just stick to storing food? And I mean, come on, and, you know, self-sufficiency, and gardening, and alternative energy. How the heck are people going to pay for it if they owe their soul to the company store? And that's what's, what's, what I want you to understand today. This debt, it takes your soul. That's not overly dramatic. It's what it does. It eats the soul from your life. It's why people work overtime and spend a, spend a, instead of spending time with families. It's why people take second jobs. And instead of using a second job to set up a lifestyle that creates independence, they use it to sustain a lifestyle style that's not sustainable in the first place. Debt is responsible for more divorces than infidelity. I think that debt is responsible for most of the divorces that come from infidelity. You know, on both sides. We have one that overspends and the other one feels like, why are we in this mess? And instead of addressing the real problem, they alienate each other and one or both end up turning to somebody else to solve the problem. It'll never get solved. There's only one way you eliminate debt. Stop growing the debt. Pay against the debt. Increase income. Reduce expense. Apply surplus to said debt. That is it. There is no magic formula. 
When you hear the radio come on and her secret programs the credit card companies do not want you to know about, turn it the hell off. Don't listen to it. They're full of crap. They can't fix your problem. When they say, President Obama has expended billions of dollars so that consumers like you, turn it off. It's bullshit. It's a lie. It's crap. It's not real. All those people will help you do is destroy what's left of your credit and move your debt from one style of debt to another classification of debt. You still have to pay it. They'll make it take longer for you to pay it. This is what I want you to understand today. The real cost of debt is not measured in dollars. It's measured in years. I was asked on yesterday's show, how do you get people to understand how big a problem debt is before life does it to them with circumstances and emergencies? How do you get the person that's sitting there with all that debt to figure out it's a problem and address it before they lose their job and have no choice? How do you do it? Well, you sit down and you add it all up. And then you take that measly minimum payment that doesn't seem that bad, and you go get on a debt calculator, and you plug it in there, and you say, how long will it take us to bring this balance to zero if we don't spend one more dime on this credit card and pay the minimum payment consistently and every time on time? And a lot of people are going to find out it's 20 years. A lot of people with $20,000 worth of debt are going to find out they're going to pay them back about $90,000. Let me say that again. A lot of people that owe about $20,000 are going to find out they're going to be paying back about $90,000. Now, to me, that's horrific. That's $70,000 that I don't have to spend. But you know what scared me more than $70,000? 19 years. 19 years. Let's make it a little more less evil. Let's say it's going to be 10 years to pay off your debt. At minimum payments. Doesn't seem that long, does it? However old you are, subtract 10 years from it. So if you're 55, go back to when you were 45. You're 45, go back to when you were 35. You're 35, go back to when you were 25. You're 25, go back to when you were 15. Whatever age you are, take 10 years off of it. And then think about this. If you do everything right from this point forward and make minimum payments on your debt, and you don't spend any more, if you don't spend another dime, if you cut the credit card up like I'm telling you, it will take you from that person you were to this person you've become. And every, thing, every single thing that's happened in between those two days, those two that decade, to become free, only going forward. And think, if you could go back and talk to yourself when you were 25 if you're 35, or 35 if you're 45, and you were carrying that debt now, what would you tell yourself? How much of a, of a ball at the end of a chain has it been dragging for that long? Maybe it's a new ball and chain for you. It doesn't seem that bad. I don't care. Look back. Think about how many years it was. And then realize for most people, you're going to keep, if you don't, you're going to keep spending, it's going to be 20 or 30 years. Try that as thought experiment. See, but it doesn't scare the hell out of you today. You're 50 years old. Take 30 years off. Remember when you were 20? You'll be 80 before you're free of that debt if you do it that way. Or spend your life carrying a chain of debt. That's what people are doing. That's pretty damn hard to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, 
and free from debt if you're dragging that chain. And if you're thinking, I'm free of debt, I've done it the right thing, then you listen to me today anyway, because don't you ever go back. Because just like a drug addict, you can have a relapse. Oh, they got a sale. Oh, I don't have the cash right now. I'll just use the credit card this time. Get rid of the credit card. No place for it. Don't even email me. Don't comment. Don't tell me all your bullshit people about points and discounts. I don't want to hear it anymore. I won't even entertain it anymore. I won't even acknowledge it or answer it anymore. I can tell you wonderful things about a rattlesnake. And I can find a very docile, very placid rattlesnake. It can be handled over and over again and won't bite. I'm not bringing it into my home. I'm not letting my wife pick it up. I'm not letting my child pick it up. And I'm not going to walk around with it dangling around my neck, even though it may never bite me. Because the nature of the rattlesnake is sooner or later, it probably will. This is the reality of debt for America today. The next thing that I hear from people is, well, Jack, you know what? The thing about debt is inflation punishes spenders. What people mean by or inflation punishes savers. What people mean by that is if I'm constantly saving money, inflation's constantly eating away at my savings. So if I go ahead and spend the money now, I buy an item now at today's cost, and I amortize the expense over time, and by the time inflation catches up, right, I, I'm breaking even or I'm ahead by leveraging the debt to buy today. Well, that only works with things like houses, and it doesn't always work with them. But you know what? It'll never work with a big screen TV. I don't care what inflation does. What did a 50-inch TV cost five years ago? What's it cost today? At the consumer level, prices are constantly dropping on equivalent like product. So that's a myth. It doesn't even work. It is true on some levels, and I'll tell you what to save anyway. And I'll tell you why. Our entire economy is now set up through the process of inflation, which is nothing but producing more money. The only reason inflation happens is because the Federal Reserve increases the amount of money in our country. That's it. That's all that inflation is. One day, there's $10 billion in circulation, all right, and then we grow $10 billion into $11 billion. So we create 10% more money, so we devalue the money by 10%, so we have an inflation rate over that period of 10%. That is the whole thing. Don't look for it to be any more complicated than that. You can go to college. You can take course after course in economics. They can give you a thousand different formulas to run for inflation. But at its core, at its reality, all inflation is is more money. That's it. We devalue money because we put more money into the system. That new thousand dollars has nothing behind it in our fiat money system. So all it can do to get $1,000 worth of value in the economy is suck its value from the other $10 billion. And when it does that, or $10 trillion, I should be using the number trillion, right? So we have $10 trillion in circulation. We put another trillion in circulation. We suck a $1 trillion in value from the other $10. All the, the $11 trillion now buys the same thing that the $10 trillion used to buy. Doesn't that sound like a maddening system? Doesn't this sound ridiculous? Do you know why? Do you know why they do it? Because it forces you to invest your money. And what happens when you invest money? What does invest your money really mean? It means to take your hard-earned money, which you exchanged your energy for, and place it at risk. 
There is no such thing as a risk-free investment. Even a bank account has some risk with it. The risk may be that the interest rate is entirely too low to beat inflation. So you lock the money up, and you lose to inflation, and it costs you to get money out. That could be one type of risk. Another risk is what we're more familiar with. We take our money, we put it into a stock market account, we put it into a mutual fund, we put it into something like that, and the market performs poorly. And the interest, uh, instead of making money, we lose money. That's what just happened to a lot of people, right? Why the hell would people do this? Why would people take, you work, let's think about this. I want you to really think about why you do this in the first place. You go to work and you work your ass off. You drive there and you drive home. You spend time away from your family. Most of what you do, you'd probably prefer not to do. You live for your time off. That's the most important thing to most Americans. When am I off? How much vacation time do I get? How many personal days do I get? How many sick days do I get? Right? Where am I going to go on my vacation? You do everything you can to spend as much time away from work as you possibly can, but you go there because you need money. You work your ever-loving butt off. And then you come home, and you take the money, and you buy all the things that you need to survive with. And then you take some portion of the surplus, and instead of putting it away in a jar, or under a mattress, or in a safe, or even in a bank account, you put it into some type of risk investment. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Maybe you tie up a big portion of it in a long-term investment called an IRA or a 401k. You can't even touch that until you're 60 years old. And it's at risk the entire time. It's exposed the entire time. Why do you do it? you do it because the guy came to your work and told you to? No. Do you do it because you think you're going to get really, really rich that way? No. you do it because you realize there's going to be a point where you can't work anymore, and you're going to need some money to take care of yourself for the rest of your life. And you realize that if you just put the money in a jar, it won't add up to be enough to last long enough, right? Follow me on this, folks. That's why you do it. Why is that the case? Why is it not sufficient to go buy staggered CDs, one, two, and three-year CDs, so a third of your money is never more than one year away from being able to be recouped by, uh, by you, at an interest rate of, I don't know, you know, a fair interest rate on something like that, if we ran our economy smartly, it should be in the neighborhood of 4%, with about 6 to 7% on real estate purchases, being the bulk of anything that's financed, and the bank being able to make the spread, works out perfectly. Nice, smoothly running economy. Why can't you do that? There's only two reasons. Inflation and taxation. Both of them run by the power elites. The ruling class runs the taxation, and the power elites, the wealthy people of the world, the Federal Reserve, which is not part of our government, controls inflation. The two of them work symbiotically together, and you wonder why I say that we live in a fascist economy. Remember what fascism is. It's not capitalism, it's not communism. It's a third way, and this is a textbook definition of fascist economy. A third way in which government and business work together, and the divisions between the classes are seen as advantageous and utilized for the betterment of society as a whole. That's fascist economics. That's where you live. And as a debtor, 
in that economy, you are a cog in that system. That's why you have to purge the debt. That's why you have to get out of the debt. See, we're forced into risk. And then, it's not bad enough that we take all that effort, all that work, all that energy, all that money that we've earned, everything that we've put aside so that one day we can live a better life. We can live that retirement commercial. We can be that old man and that old lady wearing those pants that come down to halfway down our shins, rolled up a little bit, carrying our shoes, walking down the beach, enjoying our retirement. We risk all of that so that it can happen. Because the money manipulators inflate the currency. That's not enough for them. No, they have to add debt to it. They have to add debt to it to make sure that it works. Because, daggone it, we just might escape it without the debt. But if we add debt to it, then that 60-year-old retiree becomes an 80-year-old retiree. And he gets out of the way and goes ahead and dies within the next 10 years. So he only draws Social Security for 10 years, and he leaves his money behind, and his money goes to his heirs, and they blow it all. And once they blow it all, what happens? They get the money. Maybe they're in debt. Maybe they even pay off some of their debt with it, and they buy new shiny stuff. And they get reinforced the lesson that, you know what, it's okay to be in debt. Something will always solve the problem. And they go deeper and deeper and deeper, and the chains of debt slavery fall heavier and tighter upon our nation. And it is what will lead to the economic collapse of our nation. It's not federal debt. It's going to be consumer debt. It's the one that's going to run away completely. It's the one that's going to crumble our society. And it's going to be the one that results in a government that doesn't resemble anything like our Constitution would allow for. And here's the scary part. If it continues the way it is, the people will beg for that government to come and enslave them in a different form of slavery. Because a slave will choose comfortable slavery to uncomfortable slavery any day. Think about it. You've been captured in a war in old times when slavery was considered normal. And for some reason you're given a choice. Before you stands a captain of the guard who lives in a beautiful house. And he's a kind and gentle man. He believes in slavery, but he's overall he's a kind of gentle guy. And he says, hey, look, you seem like you're a good guy. I want you to be my slave. Come be my slave. Here's what you're doing. And you're going to have to do all this crap duty and everything. But you know what? You're going to sleep in a warm bed. You're going to eat well every night. Nobody's going to beat you with a whip. And another guy says, I want you to be my slave. And he's kind of a little bit more of a poor uh, guy, a little bit lower in the ranks. He's a wicked son of a bitch. Anytime he's not happy with you, he's going he's to hit you at the back of his hand, crack a whip across your back. You're going to walk around in chains all day long. And you're also going to be a slave. If you've gotten to a point where you're not willing to, 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 you know, kill yourself, but you've realized you have no escape, where would you go be a slave? See, and that's what we're, that's what we're heading for in America. We're heading for a point where people are going to look for the softer chains, the lighter bonds, the softer tyranny. Because they're going to make their own lives so miserable that they have no choice. This is why I don't believe a lot of the 
the uh, Illuminati-type crap, the New World Order-type crap, where they're going to send stormtroopers out marching in the street to round everybody up. They're not going to have to round any, anybody up. People will beg for a totalitarian state. People will believe the class warfare lies. They'll beg the government to take over. This first one scratched the surface. This wasn't even a deep wound, folks, that we just had. This was a lot, like a cat scratch on the arm that bleeds just a little bit. We didn't sever an artery. We didn't sever a vein. This was never as bad as they've said it was. It just revealed the weakness. What do you think is going to happen when we have a real financial catastrophe? The only way that you're going to be able to get through it, be it personal or national, is to be free of that chain. And there's no easy answer. There's no simple way out. The only thing you can do is everything you possibly can to earn money. Sell anything that you don't need or use. It's not of long-term value to you. Quit spending money you don't have. Deliver pizzas for six months if you have to. Live on beans and rice if you have to. Sell your car. Buy a piece of crap car. I don't know what got you in, but I can tell you what will get you out. Living at the very limit of what you can bear for the dream of having everything you want at the end and not having to wait 20 or 30 years to just end up back to par. Because that's what we're headed for. We're headed for a place where when you retire, the first thing you do with your retirement money is maybe pay off your debt. Or, what's going on right now, people? Do you know what's going on? Seniors with paid-for houses or even houses that have a lot of equity in them. Maybe the house is worth 200000 and they only owe 30000 on it. Do you know what they're doing? They're going into reverse mortgages. They're basically mortgaging the future of their house. They get a payment in the, in, the, in the check in the mail every month, like an annuity for a certain period of time. And then after they die, the bank takes that out of the equity of their home. And little to nothing of their home's value is left to their heirs. And they're being told this is a wonderful thing. You get to keep your home and get money. Isn't it great? And they're leaving nothing behind for that generation. Some of these people have spent 30 years in that home paying for it, and another 10 living there at no cost. And now they're selling their inheritance for a bowl of parge. Debt is destroying America. There's no other way to say this. So I want you to get out of debt. I absolutely want you to do it, and I want you to start right now. And I don't mean go pay off your debt. If you can't pay your debt off tomorrow, fine. You can't pay your debt off tomorrow. But you can start. The first thing you do is you stop spending what you don't have. If you have a credit card in your life right now, don't wait anymore. If you, if you decide you had a freakish moment and Jack was wrong and you got to have it back, call them up. They'll send you another one. Take your credit card out of your wallet right now. Get a pair of scissors. Cut the damn thing in half. Throw it away. Make sure you cut the numbers up real good so they can't be reassembled. Get rid of it. Stop it. Stop. Next thing you do, do an assessment. This is a survival situation you're in. Sit down, assess everything you have, your strengths and your weaknesses. Shore up your strengths and do something about your weaknesses. If you don't have enough money, do whatever it takes to get more. Legally, ethically, morally. Okay? I don't care if it's delivering pizzas. You can make $1,000 a week delivering pizzas. You can at least make 500 
Right? Part-time. In addition to your job. It'll suck. I know it'll suck. But if you can make $2,000 a month delivering pizzas, and you're $20,000 in debt, follow this. Ten months of delivering pizzas versus 19 years of dragging the chains of slavery behind you. Tell me which one's better. That's up to you. Which type of slavery do you want? Ten, ten, ten months of indentured servitude or 19 years of true slavery. That will never end. If you don't take the action to end it, 19 years from now, you just have new debt. They just exchange the debt. Class type and, and, and amount. Where will you be in 19 years? Who will you owe in 19 years? It's your choice. So look, you want the way out? You want me to give you the practical thing, the Dave Ramsey method? Simple. Smallest debt first. Every extra penny you can scrape, put it on the small debt. When you get done with that one, take all of that money and apply it to the next debt. Don't worry about interest rates, terms, anything. Smallest to largest. Work through it. Debt snowball. You want to you know, know more, go to DaveRamsey.com. He'll tell you about it. He'll tell you the same thing every day. Listen to his radio show. Three hours a day. Dave, I did this and I did that. I'm so sad. And he calms them down and then, you know, they tell the whole thing and they hear their whole life story. And then he says, pay your debts this way. Smallest to largest. That's snowball. La, 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 la. And good for the guy. He's made a multi-million dollar fortune. I'm saying the same thing over and over again. And you know why? Because it works. Because no one can argue with it. Because it's not a scam. Because he's not telling you Obama will fix your problem. Or Bush would have fixed your problem. Or McCain would have fixed your problem. Or the next ass clown's going to fix your problem. He's saying it's your problem, you fix it. So that's how you get out of it. I want to talk to you as we, as we end up today. How do you stay out of it? You stay out of it by having goals and vision. You know what you want. You start a fund to buy what you want. You contribute to it so you can buy what you want. Here's what's going to happen. A lot of times the thing you think you want, by the time you get the money together to buy it, they'll decide you didn't really want it. And then you'll have that capital. You'll be able to use it somewhere else. And you'll be a lot more greedy with it than you would if it was credit. It's so easy to walk onto a car lot, pick out a car, spend $24,000 on it when your payment is $380 a month. So easy to do. So easy to convince yourself it's the right thing to do. Try walking onto a car lot with $25,000 in a briefcase, hopefully a locked briefcase secured to your arm with a pair of handcuffs, and try exchanging that briefcase for a car. They'll take it. It's not hard to do. It'll set off a few alarms, but I don't mean it's hard as in it's hard to buy a car with cash. They'll take your cash. Once they verify it's legit, they'll take it. Physically, it's pretty easy to do. You try it when it's your money. Emotionally, it'll be a lot harder to do. Unless you really need a new car, you're not going to do it. That's the big reason I don't want you using credit. You'll spend less money. You'll absolutely spend less money. Because you'll look at the money and you'll think about the alternative is keeping it. And you'll buy smarter. You'll buy smarter things. You'll understand that, hey, wait a minute. I can put $25,000 into 
photovoltaic and wind uh, electric generation systems in my home, and I could provide 80 to 90% of my electrical needs for the next 25 years with that money. If I do that, I have self-sufficiency, I have independence. Maybe I'm not even going to spend that much money on it, but I don't think that car is going to do anywhere near as much for me as an energy-independent system. Or wait, if I do this $25,000, I could buy a couple acres of land with it somewhere, build my dream home on it, and build a system that provides for me. You'll start thinking about what the alternative purchases are. Look, I know today might have been a bit of a different show for me. I might have sounded preachy, as I've been told at times that I sound. But it's only because I care. It's only because I've already been there. I know and I did it. And I don't want you to do it anymore. I used to, I didn't say you. I don't want you to do it too. Because just about everybody that listens to the show has probably screwed up with debt at some point in their life. Tell me your story today in the blog comments. Don't tell me why your credit card's useful. I might even delete blog comments today about that. I, I, I don't have any more time for people giving me some bullshit excuse as why your credit card is useful. It's not useful. You can say whatever you want about responsibly using it. Fine, if that's what you believe, fine. But don't 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 pollute my community with your nonsense and your uh, what do they call it propaganda anymore. But tell me your debt story. The ones of you who have gotten out of it. Tell me how you talked yourself into it. Tell me what changed your mind and what brought you out of it. And tell me now that you're free. If free isn't better than slavery. Even if you were riding high when you had your debt, even if it hurt, you tell me if it wasn't worth the chemotherapy and radiation to get the cancer out of your body, you tell me. I bet you anybody that's been through it, anybody that's done it will tell you you're much better off today than they were. And with that, I'm going to wrap up. Please take my words to heart today. Please understand that debt is not just bad for you as an individual. It really is a tool. And it's a tool that's been used to take the freest nation on the planet and create a nation of slaves. If you don't believe that, look how hard people took the recent economic crunch. Look how many people are hurting. Look how many houses are vacant. If you took away the debt before this happened, if you took away the stupidity of buying properties that people couldn't afford and knew they couldn't afford, if you took away the $20,000 of average consumer debt in most American households, if you took all that away, it would have looked anything like it did. It would have been a minor hiccup, a minor inconvenience. It would have been a little spot on your arm that the doctor looks at and goes, eh, that's not going anywhere, but let's just cut it off anyway to be sure. That's all it would have been. Instead, we have a nation going through chemo and radiation therapy right now. It's going to come out of the hospital and not recognize the world that it left behind because they're going to be giving up more and more of their freedom and control to the government. Look what the government's taken over. Housing. They're going to take over health care. We haven't won that battle. Don't mislead yourselves. They took over two-thirds of the American auto industry. By the time this is done, I'm telling you, by the time this is done, they'll control 60 to 70% of the American economy. There's no way that could have happened without debt. Debt made people make that deal. Debt is what made people sell their inheritance for a bowl of parge. Don't you do it. Reclaim your liberty. Reclaim your life. Live outside of that debt system. 
you do not have to willingly take the cancer injection. And if you've had it, self-radiate, self-chemotherapy, get off the crack rock of the credit card, fix your life, and start building a better life. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life in times get tough, or even if they don't. Makes you wonder where you You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter cause it all gets spent.